Actors, we've all got issues, so let's talk about them. I'm your host, Juaniala, and this is Actors with Issues. Hello, ladies, gents, and non-binary friends. Welcome to another episode of Actors with Issues, where we talk shop with guests from TV, film, and Broadway, exploring their careers, breaking down industry myths, and discovering what it means to be an actor today. I am your host, Juan Ayala. Thank you so much for joining us. Today, we are joined by an actor and performer of stage and screen, who you've seen in Days of Our Lives, as a contestant in season 12 of RuPaul's Drag Race, and now starring in Make Me Gorgeous, which is in performances at the Playhouse 46 in New York City. Please welcome Darius Rose, aka Jackie Cox. Darius, thank you so much for being Hi. here. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, um, uh, as I just said before we started recording, um, got to see Make Me Gorgeous last night and was just completely blown away. I have so much like respect and admiration for people who do one-person shows. Like that is just as if monologues weren't terrifying enough. It's like here's a ninety-minute one <laughs> with a <laughs> bunch of characters and just uh, tackling that. And I mean, such a, a phenomenal story too. I had. I knew very little going in uh, to what the content of the show would be and just, yeah. So, you know, speaking of the show, what have you learned throughout this process of, of taking on um, this story and, and the, the many, many characters that you portray in the show? Um, I've learned a lot. What I haven't actually quite learned is how my brain does it all. That's probably the thing I'm like, why is this happening? Um, it's, it was, I was, I wasn't sure I was going to be able to do it, but I, I, Believed in myself. Donnie, our director, believed in me a lot. And so I learned that I could do it first and foremost um, because it's a it is quite a, a big piece. Um, and uh, Wade, who originated the role and also contributed to some of the material in the piece and helped kind of craft it into what it is today, did such an amazing job. So I was just trying to step into those shoes, make it my own and um and challenge myself and so that's probably the biggest thing i learned was that i could do it um and it's been a wild ride ever since and how did it come your way did you have to audition for it uh initially were you approached um how did all that come come by yeah it's, it's an interesting story um you know they were looking to extend into the spring um and wade is off to water for elephants on broadway um mm -hmm. So Wade could no longer continue in the role. Um, Wade is good friends with Willem, who uh, was on RuPaul's Drag Race and also uh, was in Titanic recently off-Broadway. And um, uh, I believe Wade had reached out, I think maybe to Willem about seeing the play or maybe being interested in doing the play, but Willem wasn't really uh, available uh, to do it. So um, Willem and I actually work with the same manager, an amazing woman named Gina, and so, um, when Gina got wind, she uh, asked the producers if they'd be interested in looking at me for the role. Um, and so I had a, a really, uh, I, I went to go see the play. This was, this all happened very quickly at the end of December. I went to go see the play for the first time. I really enjoyed it. I thought Wade was incredible. I wasn't sure if I could do it myself, but um, I had a lovely lunch for a couple hours with our amazing playwright and director, Donnie. And Donnie said, uh, I think you can do this. And my husband likes watching you on days of our lives. So come do it. It was kismet after that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, going back, you know, a bit to your earlier years. So you were born originally in Canada. Um, when did you come to the States and was it for college that you came like for, for you? No, no, no. I've been here most of my life. So I'm a, I'm a, 
you know, some, some kids are like an army brat. I'm a medical research brat. So I moved around <laughs> wherever my mom got different research grants to, she studied IBS and Crohn's, uh, did research on those diseases. Um, and so, uh, we, when I was a toddler, she got a research grant, uh, in San Francisco. So we moved there, um, but when I was very young and then we kind of bounced all around the country. And then I, uh, ended up in Southern California um, for college. And then I moved to uh, New York a couple of years after that. And uh, I read that, um, and just have, you know, heard through interviews and whatnot that uh, your first time in drag was doing Hedwig and the Angry Inch was, um, yeah, was that was drag never ever on your radar before that? Was there like no aspirations to try drag? Or was that truly like the first time? Well, no, I mean, I definitely had like for Halloween and stuff, I dressed up, right. but I don't, um, I think in 2003, I was either 2003 or 2004, whatever the first Halloween after Wicked came out, I, I dressed up mm -hmm. as Elphaba for fun. No one knew. I was not, thought, thought I was the Wicked Witch. Um, uh, but that wasn't like, you know, really drag per se. Uh, it was, you know, the Wicked Witch, which I'd also done when I was a little kid. I loved being a witch when I was a little kid. Um, and then I think uh, for a friend's party once, I dressed up as Sharpay Evans from High School Musical. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and but yeah, my first like experience, and I say my first time in drag was really Hedwig because for me, drag is performance. Mm -hmm. And so my first time like feeling the power of being in drag on a stage with a microphone in heels was through that musical. So Hedvig is a character who is just so strong and powerful in her ability to use song and drag to like convey her message. And so that was the first time I really felt the power of drag, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, sort of going back to um, Make Me Gorgeous, there's so many different characters that you play throughout the show. Um, do you have a favorite? Yeah. It's such a tacky question, but I'm just curious because you have you do such a great job with like all the different voices and accents and things. Um, yeah, it's over 20 characters. Uh, it's over 20 characters um, in one night. Uh, my favorite is my candy. I love candy a lot. She is um, the first trans woman that um, young Kenny Marlowe meets. Um, and I think not only do I love her like as a character, I also just love what she represents in the story, which is she sees Kenny before Kenny kind of sees herself as Kate. You know, it's mm -hmm. not not just, you know, not that it's a spoiler, but the at the end of the play, Kenny decides to transition and becomes Kate Marlowe. Um, and that's the end of the play. Um, and it's interesting to me because, you know, sometimes other people see us before we see ourselves, mm -hmm. you know, much like maybe Donnie saw me as being able to do this show before I even believed I could. Candy is someone who sees Kenny and it's like, oh, you're one of us. She says that right away. She says, oh, you're a new slice of bread. We've got another one for the toaster. You know, you're coming with us. You know, she she's the first one who really gets Kenny to start kind of really expressing gender, not just kind of drag on the stage, but also kind of the gender that Kenny feels within themselves and later herself as Kate. So I love that character. And I just love being her. She's so strong. She's such a badass, um, you know. Imagine being a trans woman working the streets of Los Angeles in the 1940s. Like, yeah, how how uh, strong you'd have to be to hold down, you know, not just being a, a just a you know a working sex worker, but also a kind of a mother to some of these other queer people that she kind of took under her wing. 
you know, so she's probably one of the, my favorite characters to portray in the piece. Yeah. And, you know, if uh, sort of hypothetically, of course, if they were to make this into like a three person show where they maybe fleshed out some of those yeah. smaller characters and and whatnot, is there anyone that comes to mind that you would want on stage with you to play some of those other people? Um, one person who I actually thought of would be because when I when I saw the play, I was like, I don't know, like I'm not necessarily comfortable portraying a trans woman, you know, mm. because I'm I'm a gender expansive person who uses all sorts of pronouns and stuff. But I am not a trans woman. I've never lived that experience. So much of Kenny's life I've lived. You know, I've been a drag queen. I've done burlesque. I've moved all over the country. I've kind of done a lot of those things. I've had difficult relationships with my parents. And those are all mm. things that I really relate to. Um, but I'm not a trans woman. And so I actually had a really great conversation with a uh, fellow actor, an amazing trans woman, Dana Aliyah Levinson, who I love so much. And there's a version of this play where I would want her to be in it with me. And she would take on and, you know, do the last chapter as Kate. Um, and maybe she would portray Candy or, or a few other characters as well. But she's so amazing. You know, there's, that's like one way to think of how this play could work. Um, another way, of course, is like a mini series where you have a, a, a number of actors playing uh, Kenny and Kenneth and later Kate Marlowe. Um, you know, so it's 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 a piece that's really interesting. You know, and one of the things that because it's it's a pre-trans narrative, you know, it's it's a story of someone who was celebrated for their in some ways, masculine body uh, as a sex worker, um, you know, it, it would be hard to ask a trans actress to go back and do that kind of yeah. work, um, you know, but there is like a part two of this play that I would love to see someday uh, with a trans actress and the lead would be incredible. Because, you know, with with queer roles and whatnot, we there's usually upset when a straight actor or a cis actor gets cast in roles that they shouldn't have, you know, taken, they should have just yeah. In my opinion, it starts with the actor. They should be in a true ally and say, I don't want to audition for this role. It's not mine to take. Um, that's just my two cents. Uh, but yeah, someone had brought up sort of with trans characters, especially in projects that talk about the journey of mm -hmm. them before they're coming out, before their exploration and, and discovering their identity and sort of like, would you want to put a trans person through that again? Um, and yeah. as you brought up that point, it's such a sensitive, um, you know, subject matter for them. It's very personal and, um, yeah, but I think that there, as you mentioned, there is definitely a sort of like a part two to this, um, make me more gorgeous or something who knows, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, not that I think they're a great person, but if we're imagining the biopic of Caitlyn Jenner's life, I'm assuming we're going to have either a trans man or a cis man playing Kate before she transitioned, right? I mean, if you right. think about all of the things that Caitlin did before she became the, you know, weirdo person spouting <laughs> weird things that she is, you know, as an yeah. Olympic athlete, you know, you would probably have someone very presenting as that, you know? Right. So I think because Kenny was kind of those things, you know, celebrated for his body, etc. at that time, you know, it's something I thought about a lot. And one thing that I did talk about with the playwright and director Donnie, I made a slight change to the play that's a little different textually than um, when Wade performed the role. And Wade's also you know, been working on this for two years and took this down from a two and a half hour piece to a 90 minute piece to, oh. you know. Um, one change, small change I made at the end of the play is originally the audience actually goes with Kate to the fundraiser and Kate comes out and she says, I'm Kate Marlowe, welcome to my fundraiser. Thank you all for coming. Um, I didn't feel comfortable kind of being Kate 
for other people because like i said i'm not a trans woman mm -hmm. um so instead the play we talk about the fundraiser happening and the play ends with the reveal of her name you know in that it's a beginning of kate's journey so i'm yeah. i'm there to pass the baton um to kate um it's something that was really important to me as a queer person as someone who respects the trans experience um was was one little small change that we made um to the play um and it's you know as actors we're, we're never the person right we're never the exact person that we're playing but we, right. we we draw on our the reality of our life and so much of my life is so similar to the lived experience of kenny marlowe that i felt confident in a lot of aspects of it um that was just one that I, I asked if we could make a small change to just to be more respectful of yeah. the truth of who Kate is. Um, and like I said, I'm I'm dying for either the miniseries or the part two of the play where some amazing trans woman comes in and steals the show. <laughs> just do it in rep. We'll do part one and part two. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, that that's that's very admirable of you to um to have had that sort of foresight to want to make that change because I feel like a lot of people would be like maybe scared to change the material. I feel like actors often are, you know, scared to make those changes. Well, it was, I brought it up in my first meeting about the play after seeing it. I was like, hey, I love this play, but I'm not a trans woman. And I'm not saying Wade is a trans woman either. And the play is primarily, like I said, about the first, you know, four or five decades of someone's life before they transition. But I was, I, I just wanted to be cognizant and clear of, you know, we don't see Kate really at the end of the play. We see her mm -hmm. decide to become Kate. Yeah. And 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 she, you know, you see that last glimmer of her, and then that would be, you know, part two or the beginning of a new story. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week. You can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We have a section of the show called Dear Darius. Um, we change okay. every guest. So uh, these are fans and uh, like, you know, user submitted questions. We post it on uh -oh. Reddit, on our subreddit and whatnot. Um, and it's it's funny. I love how many of, you know, the Drag Race fans know you're a Trekkie. So there's lots of Trekkie related questions here. Um, so, and these names always crack me up. <clears throat> Bondful asks if she, uh, if you can meet one Star Trek character for real, not the actor, but the character, who would you pick? Well, that's a hard question because I met Whoopi Goldberg and it was like meeting Guinan. Um, if if you remember on my season of Drag Race, I got to meet Whoopi Goldberg and I and I was very excited to meet Guinan and I told her that. Uh, and I told RuPaul that. I was like, RuPaul, she plays an act, she plays a, a, a being who's been around for hundreds of years. And RuPaul's like, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> um, so like it would have been Guinan, but I feel like I've already met Guinan. Um, I'd be scared to meet a lot of them. I'd be scared to meet Q. I'd be scared to meet, uh, but it would be very cool to meet Q. And I have met, uh, I have met John, De John Delancey. We're actually in a, in a, in a movie coming up together. Um, oh, really? we are. Yeah. Should be, uh, more on that coming soon. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd be scared to meet Q. I'd probably, you know, who I, you know, who I think I would be friends with. I feel like I'd be friends with like Wesley Crusher, 
like you know if we were both like you know kids at the academy or whatever um i love jerry ryan who plays seven of nine uh I think I would like to meet her. I would like to meet Seven of Nine, and I'd like to meet meet Spock. Mm -hmm. I think those are the the two I'd like to meet. Uh, which Star Trek character would you want to be paired with for a drag makeover challenge? Um, there are two. The first one, which I think, like, I, I'm like keep telling uh, my Lower Decks friends, is there needs to be an episode of Star Trek Lower Decks where Boimler, uh, Jack Quaid's character, has. Mm -hmm. to to get in drag and i have to put him in drag because of reasons um so i'm, I'm waiting for that episode to happen um I, I want them to do a whole like gay pride episode of star trek lower decks um would love to put boimler in drag and would also love to put spock in drag just because <laughs> yes hilarious uh snap crackle mom asks what's the wildest part of working on days of our lives the wildest part is just how fast it is. It's mm. it's they film one episode a day, so you have one take for every scene. So like, <laughs> people always give soap opera actors like a bad rap, but it's like, and I don't had, get why. <laughs> they had one one camera blocking rehearsal, and one like run through, and then they film it. That's it. There's yeah. no like, there's no. It, there's no time to rehearse. You don't even get to like really work with your scene partner. It's just so, so fast. It's, mm -hmm. it is madness how fast it is. Um, that's crazy. Also just, um, it is, this is crazy how all the sets kind of interlock because it's just a lot of different permanent sets. So like, you know, it's like, oh, the one side of this bar is actually the back of this hospital is actually <laughs> the front of this hotel. It's like, and they're all like, cause there's so many locations in a soap opera that they're mm -hmm. constantly going to that like, there are just all these standing sets that are like oddly connected. Um, you know, so that's interesting to see as well. I'm sure you've been asked this a thousand times, um, but would you consider doing all-stars? Cause there's a couple all-stars related questions <laughs> or like a versus the world. I feel like every real girl has been asked that before, but is that sure. on your radar at all? Um, I mean, it's not really uh, on my radar per se. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really enjoying what I'm doing doing uh with my career both my drag performing and my acting um and all of the kind of related things that go with that um i i i, I never say never mm. but it's not it's not like front of mind or you know um someone someone did on twitter post like a photo of like a bunch of the girls from the last four seasons and be like pick one from each row and it was a few of my fellow queens from season 12 and i was like well if i'm picking anyone it's going to be Gigi and crystal and rockham who were on that and i was like those are my girls like season 12 reunion i mean i just love my season of drag race so much mm -hmm. um and uh i don't think this is a spoiler but uh you know speaking with my fellow season 12 sisters uh, jan and heidi who have both done all stars they both said that they um, they like doing our season more. So, oh yeah, I feel like there's so much extra pressure for <laughs> for all stars of like you have to like match or do even better. So I feel like there's just this whole added yeah. thing. Yeah, and... I guess yeah, I guess I don't even feel that pressure. I just I just more from like a enjoyment perspective. Like I just really enjoyed, uh, you know, 
filming my season and it was mm. such a joy to meet those queens and you know to create these friendships that are now like you know i can't believe we filmed it we filmed almost five years ago that's insane <laughs> you know and then we aired four years ago which is crazy yeah um that was actually the first season that i watched as it was airing i was such a late um fan and then late of course, like, <laughs> late adopter <laughs> and then like during the pandemic was when i like finally like, pretty much binged through like everything um and also oh, there's a there's an all-stars really question so which um classic all-stars challenge are you confident that you would like just completely like, destroy the girl group the branding the ball the roast of all this i'm never confident in anything you know what i mean like i don't i don't because you know you never know kind of what is happening i don't know there's uh, so many things that like yeah I, I would just go out there and have fun i mean i always have more fun obviously with like the acting based challenges like snatch game or you know like i would have loved to do the soap opera challenge they did the last couple seasons because yeah. you know i love me a soap opera but you know rue is rue is someone who is always looking for like magic which is you know how incredible that that's your job to find magic in drag queens but I think as the show goes on, right, I think her standard becomes a little higher. Like, what's going to really make her laugh? What's going to make her yeah. uh, be like, wow, you know, what's going to really wow her? Uh, it's a high standard to meet, um, you know, so I don't I don't know if I would. Yeah, I, I guess I'm not one of those people who walks in and is like, I would slay <laughs> every moment. Like, I don't I would I would go there and do my best and have a whole bunch of fun is what I would do. Mm. I don't know if that's what the fans want. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and speaking of Snatch Game, um, did you have any other, did you have a backup for Snatch Game besides? I did, I did. Uh, yeah, I, um, my backups were um, uh, Julie Andrews, um, <laughs> who I would have loved to do. Um, and the other backup was um, Catherine Hepburn, not the version uh, that was ended up on my Snatch Game season, but I was going to do like a young Catherine Hepburn, very clipped. Uh, mid-atlantic accent um yeah. i was gonna do that kind of you know she was very bossy mm. um yeah those were those were my those were my backups and um i'm actually curious because i know that one of the other sort of all-stars challenges is like the uh like the runway redo basically um yeah. so is there a look of yours that comes to mind that you would want to like redo and beef up there's two. One is because it was so universally hated, but I loved it, was my um, buttons and bows look. Um, just the pink and yellow kind of like big cupcake. I was uh, trying to go yeah. for like a, um, like almost like the pearlies from Mary Poppins, just like very colorful <laughs> and bright. Um, I would I would redo that one. Um, and only because I really liked it, but I feel like the judges wanted something a little bit even maybe bigger is I would probably redo my purple people eater um, <laughs> uh, and make it even bigger and more kooky crazy. And uh, this part of the show is called the good, the bad and the ugly. So this is the part where we sort of air out some dirty laundry about our thoughts on the entertainment industry and things like that. But we start with the positive. So with the good, what is your favorite part about being an actor, uh, working in drag, just being a performer? Creating. Creating is my my the number one thing. And then the number two thing, which you can do outside of being an actor, but I love it as part of my job is connecting with people, whether that's the audience, you know, as you know, from seeing the show, I, I, I speak directly to the audience quite a bit in this mm. play. 
Um, and obviously in my drag career, I get to do that as well. And even if it's something with a fourth wall, connecting with your fellow actors on stage and or connecting with the creative team. You know, I just love yeah. learning about people and, and what makes them tick and how we all kind of inform each other. Um, you know, it's, it's it's where kind of all these 20 characters that are in Make Me Gorgeous kind of come from is all my experience, you know, connecting with people. Yeah, so those are the two things I love the most about this industry. And in terms of what you dislike, what's something that you think needs to undergo a change about whether it's like you know about auditioning about mm. the whole casting process anything that comes to mind about the industry yeah i mean it's so you know now that so much is on self-tape it, it's so hard to like know how anything goes in this business you know to know like did anyone actually watch this audition did they hate it what who knows you know it's like you have no kind of sense of anything i say that and then you know I recently had an in-person audition, which I hadn't had in so long. And I mm -hmm. went and I was like, whoa, this is a lot more stressful than I remembered. <laughs> because, you know, on the one nice thing about a self-tape is, well, that take went horrible. I'll just do it again. You know, you have like, you know, but in person, it's like that one shot. Um, you know, so I don't know. It's it, it's always great to be with people in a room, which is exciting. Um, you know, so more of that if we can. Uh, now that you know, the pandemic is at bay. And um, yeah, and then I, I think just more honest conversations about representation and it being not just like, okay, well, this person, we want to cast a, a, a minority, right? You'll hear that like, oh, well, this character, we're just going to shoehorn in a minority. It's like, well, okay, fine. But like, one thing that would be great too is more kind of like authentic representation. You know, I'm finally seeing more parts being written for drag performers, for instance, that are actually like sound like real drag queens that I've met. You know, I for a long time would just get these uh, auditions for like drag queen at a bar counting bills as officers walk in to ask questions. And the, the drag queens are always like Mae West. They're always like, hey, officer, like, what you? <laughs> You're coming in here. Look, well, they're not here, you know, and it's like 2 p.m. Like, why is she even in drag? Like, none of this makes sense. You know what I mean? It's like Tu Wong Fu. It's like, why are they in drag? Like, none of right. this makes sense. Um, if they ever make a Tu Wong Fu musical, they have to write some reason why they have to be in drag. Because it's like, it, it makes no sense that those characters are in drag the entire, the entire movie. <laughs> you know, so it's point, like, yeah. I want, I want more representation of like real things, um, you know would be great and not and, just like checking boxes if that makes sense right um yeah we actually had um so for the this other podcast that i um produce and host for uh, a company called media village um for all of the sort of cultural um heritage and history months throughout the year we have roundtable interviews uh we actually had miss kasha davis for our pride interview last year and um but for the, we just did our, our roundtable for black history month and one of the actresses um crystal ballant she does a lot of the mike flanagan shows on netflix cool um, like she was in like midnight mass and the fall of the house of usher and she remember she was saying how she remembers approaching mike uh who's a creator and director and like writer of like all of these shows and um when she got cast in the role, she was like, okay, so this character, she's a black woman, she's a mayor's wife. What does she contribute to the community? Like, what is it about her, you know, like about her background that like, does it affect it in the community at all? And he was like, no, you're just the best person for the job. Like we, we liked your performance and we hired you. Like the, we didn't hire you because you were black or 
I didn't write the character specifically to be black. And she was just like, mm. whoa, like, cause in so many other, um, she was saying in so many other roles she's done, like being black as part of the role. And mm. that's kind of what's front and center rather than though she's just the mayor's wife and she happens to be a black woman. Um, and it's always so fascinating to get that perspective from actors of like getting that just people can just exist in these communities without it having to be part of it, you know? Yeah, well, that's the thing is I, I, I wish that people would just write like real characters. And if you want, you know, a, a, you find a great actor as opposed to like, oh, we need this to be like a Middle Eastern person. Okay, great. Go audition. Okay, I'm auditioning. And then I'm like, did they write anything about this person other than their, you know, like, like they didn't like yeah. finish the finish the writing. They just like put a little box that said like, this will be our Middle Eastern character or this will right. be our drag queen character, you know, and then they and then like, can you fit into this little box? And you're like, well. <laughs> what is about the rest of this person, you know? So I think that's interesting, you know, or just cast me in a role that was written for no one, you know, and it's just a interesting person. I don't know. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's a, it's a catch 22. Cause I'm like, if you're, if you're writing something with a specific minority in mind, I would just love for it to be a full character and a full right. reason. And if you're not writing with a specific minority in mind, then like it could be anyone. Right. And so we should open the, the casting to anyone mm -hmm. is my thought. And uh, in terms of the ugly, so what is something that we should just completely get rid of? What is something in the industry that you're like, why are we still doing this? Well, I'd love to get rid of the like expectation now that social media exists for like every actor or person to like suddenly be an influencer. Oh. Um, you know, like I... I am very grateful that I have an, an incredible following from Drag Race, but I don't, I don't think I'm like an influencer, if that makes sense. Like I, I share things about my life or if there are brands or collaborations that I want to do, I, I do them, but I'm not like here to, uh, I, I don't think I, I, I necessarily have to be like, um, a lifestyle brand you know what i mean like i'm a, yeah like follow me because you think i'm interesting or you know my life is interesting or the things i do i'm interesting but you know i think the expectation is oh and like okay great can you um you know uh actually go into your closet and create a whole like thing about like everything you've ever worn and i'm like well i could yeah. uh it's a lot so yeah i just you know like there's there's a lot of things that feel like organic to me and things that i'm like happy to you know collaborate with on my social media and especially like uh i've done a lot of stuff with like nonprofits that i think are important like mm -hmm. broadway carers etc and i've done a lot of paid collabs as well for brands that i think make sense with me mm -hmm. um but then the expectation that just because i'm i have a following that i have to like that like has to be all that i do i'm like well i want to share like you know pictures of my life <laughs> yeah but that's something that a lot of folks have talked about, especially with the rise in popularity of like TikTok over the last like, you know, four, five, six years of like, why does every actor feel the need that they have to like, there's some like weird unspoken expectation. I feel like no one's told me like, you need a bigger social media following, but we all think that and we all talk about it. Uh, even though like, you know, yeah. no agent or manager has ever said that I feel personally to, to an actor. Um, but that's always oh, in the I've back heard, of our head I've for heard some actors who have been told that. Oh, really? And dancers, dancers, especially, you know, because there's so much because TikTok is so conducive to showing off dancing. I have yeah. I have fully heard from oh, some of my sense. dancer friends who've been told, oh, yeah, my, my agent says I have to get more followers. 
mm. because in the dance world, that's becoming a thing because there's dance is so easy to show off on social media. Right. You know, that I, I've heard that from dancers of like, oh, I have to start making dancing TikToks because that's what they want. Like, that's part of the casting process now because wow. they know that if you're cast in a project, you can show it off, you know? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I never, um, I'm friends more so with, with actors and whatnot. So it's like, I can't imagine like how many six second monologues to, are you going to post about? You know? <laughs> yeah, it, it, it acting Versus, doesn't translate quite yeah. as well to social media, but yeah, I, comedy as well. You know, comedy is another one that yeah. people want on TikTok. But as we come, as we wrap up our interview, uh, we have a final section called It's Time for Life's Big Questions. Uh, so if you could have any superpower, which would you choose? Probably like to teleport. Mm. I don't want to fly. I just want to like be there. Right. You know what I mean? Flying's so much work. Um, <laughs> Flying is, and I'm scared of heights. <laughs> uh, what movie never fails to make you laugh? What movie never fails to make me laugh? It's mm. a good question. I'll probably go with TV show Golden Girls. That's okay. okay. Am I allowed mm -hmm. to? Uh, what is the most spontaneous thing you've ever done? Oh, sorry. If I was going to say movie, it would be Drop Dead Gorgeous. Oh, good choice. Movie. Yeah. Yeah. What's the most spontaneous thing I have ever done? Mm -hmm. uh, probably audition for Drag Race. It was not like. Oh, really? In my, it was not in my plan. It was not like on my list. I was helping a friend with their tape and it was due in like three weeks. And I was like, this doesn't seem that hard. I could do it. <laughs> I just like did it on a whim mm. and it changed the course of my entire life. Um, if you're having a movie night, horror movie or rom-com? Uh, neither. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, we're going to either do, uh, we're going to do a comedy, not a romantic comedy. We're thinking, I'm thinking more like Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar, you know? Okay. <laughs> uh, what is your favorite theatrical performance you've seen live? That's a hard one. Um, hmm. Mm, like from an actor or like show? Um, just live performance. Top three, if, if it's hard to choose one. I will say the most incredible ensemble I saw was Come From Away. And just watching Ugh. them all work together, mm -hmm. it was like in such a, like a, it was such an, I don't know. I just loved watching all of them. Um, what an incredible ensemble. Uh, I saw that that opening cast of Come From Away. It's such an amazing time. I haven't seen it since. Like, I just loved it. I saw it. I loved it. I, like, jumped to my feet the minute it was over. Um, Probably the most influential on me, though, would be um, seeing John Cameron Mitchell finally in Hedwig, you know, in the revival, as I missed yeah. the original. But to have, you know, seen the movie, done the play, I saw Neil Patrick Harris in it, which who was amazing as well. But then to finally see John's take on it, I was mm -hmm. like, and to see John kind of come back to it, after you know 20 years it's crazy uh would you rather do 100 episodes of a sitcom or 13 episodes of a gritty drama 100 episodes of a sitcom work <laughs> i would do both but i would right. love to do this i would i i you know when i watch like golden girls or you know the office or friends or any of those like 30 minute sitcoms it's like you see like how much 
especially by the second season, the actors are just in it with each other and just like able to kind of like work on it with each other. You know, I don't know if you've ever read some of the like backstage stuff of friends, but like, especially the boys, um, you know, like they were always trying to make everything funnier, 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 funnier. And so like how like crazy to get to do that, you know, especially back then 20, you know, 22 episodes a year, which is unheard of now, but yeah. Yeah. It's like hundred. It's funny. 13, 13 episodes of a drama is like two years of a, of a drama today. Right. Some of them are like five or six episodes. Right. And a hundred episodes of a sitcom is like 10 seasons of a sitcom these days. Right. As opposed to it would have been four seasons of a sitcom, you know, in the 90s. Yeah. Those um, some of the work I did was like kind of on the tail end of like procedurals and whatnot. Um, mm. It's like the show, the, the show that uh, one of the shows I, I worked on the most the fin that the series finale was episode 100 and i was like shows don't get this far anymore like it is so rare because like all these like you said all these like 10 episode like limited series or i um, mean sitcoms just don't come up that much anymore um not yeah like no one's quite unlocked comedies. the sitcom for the streaming age quite yet yeah um yeah it, it almost takes like what I think will eventually happen is because we're going to run out of, you know, eventually everyone will have seen all however many episodes of Friends and The Office and Will and Grace and whatever, you know, sitcoms that are have big kind of banks of episodes or Golden Girls, etc. And eventually someone's going to have to be like, hey, it's not going to get us a lot of money in the in the beginning, but we're just going to plop down. We're going to lock these, you know five great actors in for like five years 20 episodes and just like make them do it yeah and then we'll just put it on netflix or something you know where it's like you have to kind of like because i don't know how we'll recreate that library of shows because people love love that i mean i certainly like when i'm tired or stressed i just put it on a sitcom that i've already seen a million times yeah that's what i do Mm -hmm. you know i I put that on and i i just let it go until i'm tired and then i go to sleep Mm -hmm. um you know, you can't really do that with new shows, you know, so it's almost like you kind of like got to make somehow a bank of shows. So I don't know how that's going to exist. Yeah. Not for yeah. us to solve. <laughs> Thank God. Uh, don't want that on my plate. for sure. Uh, it's interesting, you know, like um, with the rise of um, or the, the re-rise, I guess, of, of Suits, people realizing, mm-hmm. like, see what happens when you have a show that you let run its course for a long time. Netflix, people will binge the whole thing versus like 13 episodes and canceled. Um yeah, and the, I, I will say the worst thing, and this is what I say. So if I'm going to change the, uh, my thing that has to go in the industry is you have to give these shows a chance to end, even yeah. if it's like a, a one hour wrap up movie, because right. it's so unsatisfying to know there are three great seasons of a show and then you won't know the end of the story. Mm. Like, it's like you canceled it, but now we don't know what happens. Like, yeah. One of them that I think would actually be doing a lot better in streaming if it had gotten an ending is like Two Broke Girls. They never got a finale. They got oh, canceled right. in the summer hiatus. And then there's no ending. Like, did they ever make money? Like, what is the <laughs> end of the story? Like, are they Two Broke Girls forever? Like, it would have taken literally, you know, they could have just like dusted off the sets, given those actors, you know, however much money to make another 22 minutes of just like, what's the end of that story? Yeah. What's the end? We got to get endings to stories. So I yeah. want to stop cancellations with no endings. Yeah. Also just stop with the 
the the intentional cliffhanger to hold the show hostage like because then you're either forcing the network to like well we have to renew them now otherwise the fans are gonna upset some executives are like forget the fans the show's not making money so it does the fans will be disappointed it doesn't matter yeah i mean i see both sides of that because i know the writers want it to be exciting and waiting for the next season right. but it does suck when it's canceled and you're like or like glow is another one yeah i wanted to find out the end of that we'll never know what happened yeah. to those ladies uh and oh no not the last one sorry um second to last question uh if you could sit down for dinner with any actor dead or alive who would it be I could sit down to dinner with any actor, dead or alive. Hmm. That's a really good question. I'm trying to think. Probably. Hmm. Yeah, I'm like looking around in my like apartment because I have so many things on the walls. <laughs> um. Yeah. They're not an actor, but I probably would sit down with Alfred Hitchcock because I'd love to know what makes him Ooh. tick. Yeah. Um, Good choice. I think, I think he's such an interesting human. And I haven't even seen all of his movies, but the ones I've seen are like, because I don't, I don't like scary movies, but I think his movies are so like captivating that I like, yeah. there's a few that I just love. Um, like Vertigo, like I love Vertigo. Mm -hmm. um, and I would just love to kind of talk to him about like art mm -hmm. and like film um and like what yeah what and i'd love to just get a sense of him as a human and what makes him tick mm. yeah good choice first of all uh but, you know, last question in 10 words or less what advice would you give to a young actor just remember you're only there to be yourself like you literally can't be anyone else and you can't worry about what literally anyone else is doing. You just are there to be yourself and either who you are is what they want or who you are is not what they're envisioning. And that is no one's fault other than you're not the person that they're envisioning. You know, like that's literally it. It's someone else's show, right? Someone else's thing. And on that note, right. Then, if you're finding you're not fitting in someone else's work, start making more of your own. You know, yeah. that's what drag was for me is it's a creation of my own that I love and I nurture and I, you know, is my joy. You know, I will be forever the only person who I think will ever play Jackie Cox, but you never know. <laughs> uh, Until you yeah, do a so You're only ever going to be yourself. So you just have to remember that you're just you. Yeah, I love that. Well, Darius, thank you so, so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Really, really appreciate it. Um, and for, you know, and again, for such a phenomenal um, performance in, in Make Me Gorgeous. So for everyone listening, everyone watching, Make Me Gorgeous is in performances at Playhouse 46 in New York City through February 25th. And you can catch Darius in the show until then. Darius, again, thank you so much. And yeah, yeah. go to gorgeousplay.com um, and stay tuned in case there are updates. Um, but come and see us uh, through February 25th, uh, gorgeousplay.com. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to Actors with Issues on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, and visit our YouTube channel for full video interviews. Actors with Issues is executive produced and hosted by Juan Ayala. See you next time.